Good morning. It is good to be here with you guys. As I thought about what to preach on this morning, the thought of unity kept coming to my head. And the reason it came to my head is because as I thought about what to preach on this morning, I was honored to be coming back to this church where I was raised. And I was honored to think about the men and women who had poured into me over my first 14 years of life. I thought of sitting downstairs with David Green, where he taught us, catechized us. I thought of my Uncle Royce, John Harley, the men who had a huge influence in my life and who poured into me faithfully, and the men who, by God's grace, God used to prepare me for where I am today. So I am thankful for you men. I'm thankful for this church, and I'm thankful to be here to bring you the word of God. And so again, as I thought about what to, to preach on, I thought about that bond that we have, that bond that we have in Christ. And even though we are in different areas, even though we go to different churches, we are all part of the church of Christ. And we are all called as God's elect to show our love to each other. And so I want to read this morning out of Psalm 133 and just spend a few moments in that psalm looking at what David has to say to us in that. If you would stand with me for the reading of the word of God, please. Psalm 133, a song of ascent of David. He writes, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Maybe see it. This psalm has a special place in my heart. It is a psalm that I've been coming back to in the last two and a half years that I've been a pastor constantly to remind myself of the union that Christ calls us to have with each other. And interesting enough, David, although we're not totally sure when he wrote this psalm, it would seem as if he wrote this in his later years, thinking back on his kingdom, on the rule and the peace that now existed in Israel. But when David came into power, there was not that peace. The nation was a broken nation. There wasn't unity. And so, it would seem as if David in his older days is thinking back on those times of disunity and now in an excitement he writes this psalm. And it makes you think, I, I, I often try to think about how would they write this psalm, you know? And I don't think David wrote it as like this, behold, right? David is thinking back over over the disunity and now of the unity that there is. And David, I think, cries out. He goes, behold, look, come see how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
David's heart is pouring out as he writes this psalm. I'm a words guy, and so I always look into the different words that are used. And, and the word good here, you know, we use the word good, but the word means suitable for its intended purpose. It means to be excellent. It means to be agreeable to the senses, right? Pleasant was his idea of being sweet, lovely, delightful. The word actually has this idea of, of hearing beautiful, sweet-sounding music, right? And then the word brothers, that familial language, that language that's talking about something deeper than our blood, but it's talking about that thing that bonds us as Christians, which is Christ. And so this verse, he's saying, how good, how suitable, how excellent is it when God's creation, when his people dwell together in unity? He says it's good because it's them fulfilling their intended purpose. To dwell in unity is to live constantly unified with one another, right? And when I say that, you probably think, well, that's not possible, right? I can't live in perfect unity. I'm married. I'm supposed to be in perfect unity with my wife, and that doesn't always happen. But it doesn't mean that we aren't in unity, right? Sometimes people are mean, right? Sometimes people don't listen well. Sometimes we have our own agendas or our own ideas. And these are all true things. But what's at heart of this verse, the design of David's heart in this verse, is something deeper than just always agreeing. David is telling us here that we are to strive to live. We are to strive to think and act in a certain way. And he's encouraging us to understand the importance of unity. He's also pointing out what true unity is, which is the binding work of the Holy Spirit given only to God's elect, to the true family of God. And so David says how good it is when we dwell in unity. And so we know that then that is our aspiration. We should then aspire. We should try to live in unity. And one of the things that I always want to try to do when when I preach is this, is that I can say, hey, dwell in unity, and that's all good, But unless we go to scripture to see how we dwell in unity, it's not really helpful to just tell you to dwell in unity. And so I want to jump over quickly to Colossians 3. And we know here that the dwelling in unity is that of the believers, that of God's elect. And so then we look at Colossians. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's saying, listen up. If you are God's elect, now Paul's going to give us instruction, as Paul does so often and wisely. Verse 12. Paul says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds, unifies everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul says, believer, he's going to give us what's called an imperative command, right? He's going to tell us how we are to live. He says, put on. He says, believer, Christian, now do this. He gives us an active command. He tells us to put on love, agape love. And agape love is not an emotion or a feeling. Agape love is an action. So he says, put on this action, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And real quickly, we use some of these words a lot, but I think it's important that we really sink into these words that he says. He says, have compassionate hearts, looking to help others and enter into life with them. Put on kindness. It's the idea of being ready to do good, even when, may it, when, when it may be undeserved. It's moving on, not holding grudges, letting go of differences, not being negative. Humility thinking of ourselves less. Paul encourages us to outdo one another with honor, to not think of ourselves higher than we ought to, but to think of others more highly than ourselves. Meekness. I love this word. Meekness. It is the center of the Christian life. It is being under someone else without fighting it. The word would have been used in Rome of their war horses. Their war horses were considered meek. Right? Here's this powerful, mighty animal who could bring destruction. And yet that animal was totally submissive to the rider, its master. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be meek. We are not called to be weak. But we are called to submit ourselves and bend the knee to our master, Christ. Lastly, he calls for patience, long-suffering, able to love even through differences and trials, and push on to persevere. Brothers and sisters, this kind of love is not natural, right? This kind of love is not how the world gets along. Look at our politics, our nations, right? We don't see this example. This kind of love comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit given by our Lord and Savior. And so when we jump back over to Psalms 133, and and now understanding our role in how to dwell in unity together, we look back at the, the verses here. And interesting too, before, before we look at verse two, we're called to dwell and stay in unity. And I think there's something interesting about that is we're not called to just merely put up with one another, right? That's a worldly way of doing things. Just put up with each other. Do enough. Don't fight. Don't cause problems. But this song, this psalm, was actually sung as the nations would gather together for their yearly festivals as one nation in Jerusalem. They were singing songs about actually being invested into each other's lives, not just doing enough to get by, right? I'm going to pick on Ken because Ken's one of those guys that everyone likes Ken. He's happy, right? But like, let's say Ken might bug you a little bit, right? Don't shake your head yes, that's his wife. But maybe Ken isn't always easy to love, right? And so sometimes maybe you'll be like, well, 
you know, Ken's our elder. He goes to church with us. I guess I'll put up with him. But that's actually not what God here in scriptures is calling us to do. It's not telling us to put in as little effort as possible. He's telling us to dwell in unity. He's telling us to love each other well, even when it's hard. The scriptures actually is telling us to, to enjoy each other. It's encouraging us to enter into life together, being one, finding our common bounds, our common grounds, and standing firm on that. And brothers and sisters, as we all know, that common ground is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find our unity in our Savior. We all come from different backgrounds, different nationalities. We look different. We dress different, right? I mean, I'm dressed as nice as I dress. This is the nicest clothing I own from where I live. This is nice. We look different, and yet we are one in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think it's important, too, as we look at unity and we think about it, to realize that it's actually okay to disagree, right? We're not talking here about, like, always agreeing, seeing eye to eye on everything. But what we are talking about is where is it that our hearts are when we don't necessarily agree? It's good to have healthy debates and conversation. That's how we grow and learn. But are we doing these from a position of love, looking to unify each other, or a position of pride, looking to divide? The church I pastor up in Sullivan County has many people from many different backgrounds and traditions. We have different ideas on how church should look. We're growing right now. We have different ideas on, on what it looks like to expand our church. Sometimes we just flat out don't get along. But the thing that always brings us back to unity is our love of Christ and our understanding of the gospel message that we are told to proclaim and stand in. Again, what I'm not saying is, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to compromise truth for peace. We do not compromise the truth of scriptures. But what I am saying is to dwell in unity in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that for his glory and the expansion of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon says this, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than even we do. Since union is strength, he, Satan, does his best to promote separation. And so we look then at these last two verses of Psalm 133, and, and I love the poetry here. David goes on to compare this dwelling of unity to two things. One, which is the beauty of God's ceremonial law. And then secondly, he's going to compare it to the beauty and provision of God through creation. And so he first says that it's like a precious oil on the head running down on the beard of, oil, or of Aaron, running down to the collar on his robes. And this oil was a special oil that was used to anoint Aaron and the high priests and was only used for that purpose and the purpose of anointing the articles of the tabernacle and the tents of meeting, which is where the people met together daily to worship. The precious oil is the same word actually used in verse 1 for good. When it says how good and pleasant, it is the same word that is used for the preciousness of this oil. And so he's comparing this union to this oil. This oil was expensive. 
The ingredients were given by God himself. It had this beautiful fragrance to it. And when it was poured out, you would have smelled it. It would have, it would have brought its smell to everyone around. And this oil that was so expensive and precious was poured out in excess on Aaron as a sign of setting him aside as the high priest for special use. The high priest's work was entering the Holy of Holies once a year, which brought spiritual unity to the people of God. David compares this precious, fragrant oil that was poured on Aaron for special use, which flowed down from his head, through his beard, to his robes. He compares that to the beauty of how we are to be unified in Christ. It is Christ, our head, that these blessings flow down from to the body, which is us, his people. This makes us appealing to the watching world, this unity, because we are different. I remember this unity in this church as a kid. Spent time at so many houses of people in this church. I grew up with Peter Green, Anna Gabriella, Jessica Edgar, Hannah Stone. They're names that still bring joy to my heart. I spent time at their houses. We'd go down to the Harley's house. We'd run down there after church until our parents would come find us. I was at the Stones' house a lot, the Edgars. I remember parties, New Year's Eve parties at the Caggiano's. I remember the luncheons downstairs. I remember the unity of the brotherhood of this church. It is something that stuck with me, the family nature that God has blessed upon this church. And this is what the scripture is talking about. That kind of unity has stuck with me and has influenced my whole life because it is unique, because it is beautiful. It is a beautiful fragrance that rises to our Lord. My Godfather, as I mentioned, was Royce. He spoke into my life deeply as a child, and then he spoke into my life again as I got into pastoral ministry. The beauty of the fragrance of the dwelling in unity of this church still sticks with me and has impacted me as I pray it does you and others around you. The oil points us to the holiness of God dwelling with us. It points us to the delight in the dwelling together with his people. And then verse 3, the comparison to nature, the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains. The dew brought water that was needed for the vegetation to grow. It brought coolness to the heat of the desert. Without this dew that flowed down from the mountains, the area would be dry, dead, not profitable. I love the illustration he's giving us. You're looking out at the mountains, and we've seen it, probably not in this grandeur, because this mountain, I think, was 9,000 feet high. But you've seen the dew coming down the hillsides. And David says, that is what it is to be in unity together. In the same manner, our lives would be dead, unprofitable, without the family of God living together in unity and love. It is God's love and his gifts that flow down from the mountain, giving us the ability to have that brotherly love. Calvin says this of this psalm. He says, David suggests that the life of man would be sapless, unprofitable, and wretched, unless sustained by brotherly harmony. 
And brothers and sisters, again, that brotherly harmony only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Belgic Confession, Article 28, says this, We believe since this holy congregation is an assembly of those who are saved, and that out of it there is no salvation, that no person of whatsoever state or condition he may be ought to withdraw himself or to live in a separate state from it, but that all men are in duty bound to join and unite themselves with the church, maintaining the unity of the church, submitting themselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and as mutual members of the same body, serving to the edification of the brethren, according to the talents God has given him. I have those relationships in my life. I have those relationships where the Lord has used men and women to flow his spirit through them to me. Matt has been one of those men in the past few years who has spoken into me, who calls and encourages me, who helps keep me balanced. We bounce things off of each other. We hold each other accountable. This is the beauty of the blessing of dwelling together in unity. These relationships, this unity we have in Christ, it builds me up and it helps keep me pointing back to our head, Jesus Christ. And so then David ends with this. He says, hey, dwell in unity. How beautiful. Behold, look. He says, look how good it is. He's encouraging us to do this. And then as always, God always has promises when we actually follow his word well. The promise here is in the end of verse 3. It says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. We are told here that when we live in harmony with the brothers and sisters in Christ, that is where God promises a blessing of eternal life. Because what he does is he says, Those are my people. When we live according to his law, to his will, when we submit the knee to him, it shows the watching world that we serve a greater king than any earthly king. It shows that we serve Christ. Where brothers dwell in unity, there God is also. That's the beauty of it. These are the elect, the people of God, living as they have been called. And the promise is this, then, that our God, who sent his Son to dwell with us here on earth, and who by his sacrifice as the final high priest, who through his death and resurrection made reconciliation possible to his people, he will dwell with us in glory forever if we put our faith in him. God's chosen people will one day dwell in perfect unity, in glory and we will forever praise and serve our glorious King. Romans 15, 5-6 says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you be known both individually and corporately by the sweet fragrance of your unity and by the downward flow of your love and grace for each other. My prayer is that all who see you, who see this church, 
may declare as David did, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for who you are. We give you thanks for what you have done in our lives. We give you thanks that you are our risen Savior. We give you thanks for calling us to be part of your kingdom. I give you thanks for this church who continues to do your work. Lord, bless them and keep them. Use this church in mighty ways to proclaim your gospel to many people. Keep this church unified. May it still function as the family that I remember it being. May you pour out your spirit upon them that even in their differences, they may look to you for their union. And may you bless their hands as they do your work. Lord, I thank you for this church, for the faithful men and women who have been here for years. I thank you for the new people who have come. And I pray that you will continue to be with them and bless all that they do. And may you do this, Lord, for your glory, for the edification of your people, and for the continued proclamation of your gospel. We pray all of this to you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would stand for the singing of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings